kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by our host and star of this show, Jerry Chupiano. This is On the Record with Jerry Chupiano, and we have another packed episode for you today, episode 387 on our show network. I want to thank a couple of groups before we bring Jerry on and get going with our interview here. But first, our audience, we challenged you to hit 60,000 before Christmas. We got 60,000 yesterday morning, so thank you for your support. Now, new challenge, 61,000 by Christmas. So I upped the ante, just like I did as a coach here. So we're raising the bar again. You guys know what to do after this show. Five stars, write some great comments for Jerry and our guests because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. So help us out there. We're slowly climbing the charts of iHeartRadio podcast, Jerry, so we'll keep that ball rolling today. To our sponsor, Blackout Coffee, their slogan, Be Awake, Not Woke. We appreciate your support. Um, Coffee's going to be on Jerry this month and all of 2024, so we're going to get his personal code to you in the show notes. In the meantime, if you want to get to our, our, our show code, you can use David, all capital letters, 20 at checkout. That'll get you to 20% off all of your coffee purchases. And a little shout out to our very first guest we ever had on the network, supports us on every show, listens to every single episode. Ted Kubiak has a great book, great stocking stuffer for all your baseball lovers. It's called Old School Baseball from his perspective. He shares what he thinks has happened to his national pastime. Also, phenomenal fielding manuals, a great guide to go with it, how to field a ground ball, the most comprehensive written manual I've seen to date in all my time. Much better than what you're picking up on YouTube, I promise you that. So with that, Jerry, welcome back to your show. Thanks, Dave. I, I got to spend some time with Ted Kubiak. I'd love to pick his brain. You- uh, we, we've got a, we got a great guest today, uh, a legend in the television industry, Ted Shaker. Ted, for 20 years, was the head of CBS Sports, executive producer of CBS Sports from 1982 through 1992. Well, 73, he started at CBS. My math might be a little bit off. Nobody told me to be math. But he's also been executive producer of uh, business news for CNBC. He uh, started Sports Illustrated Television, the founder and president for Time Warner. He's a legend in the broadcast industry, has taught at New York University, has done the documentary for ESPN. Ted, what are you, what are you doing these days to keep you busy? You know, um, I appreciate you having me on, Jerry. It's, it's great to hear your voice again. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Uh, so basically what I do now is sort of consulting things, um, have a chance to sort of uh, get a, a, you know, a, a look at what's going on out there, offer a point of view here and there, uh, do some consulting for different organizations. And, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, I, I had a, a, a good run and I grateful for all the opportunities I had. And uh, so now I'm on kind of the other side of the hill. The Ted Shaker story to me is, is it, it, it's funny that we're talking at this time because I saw a movie the other night, one of my favorite Broadway plays, 
how to succeed in business without really trying. And Ted, if I if I remember correctly, you started in the mailroom at CBS, did you not? Well, it, you know, it was actually um, a, a floor down. I started, you know, it was, yeah, no, the basement, uh, it was the, um, the videotape vault in the basement, the basement of the CBS Broadcast Center. Uh, where basically the only other people down there with her, with us were the custodians. We, you know, we were, you know, in the basement. And, um, yeah, so I, I started down there as a clerk carrying around boxes of videotape. Back then, these were two-inch tapes that weighed a ton. And, uh, uh, I w- you know, then worked my way up to being um, a shipping clerk in the uh, vault. And, um, you know, eventually... Uh, got a, a job at CBS News, but yeah, that, yeah, really, literally up from the basement. <laughs> what, what was your first job in the news division? Uh, I, you know, again, it was as a clerk on a kids' news show that they had called In the News, and it was uh, on on Saturday mornings on CBS. And these were two and a half minute stories that were about kind of the stories of the day but written in a way that they offered uh, the viewers who were kids an insight into what was going on in the world. And um, it was there that I, you know, uh, again, started, you know, as a clerk carrying around boxes of video of, of film because we, we weren't allowed to shoot our own stuff. So we used all the existing stuff in the, in the film library to put together things, plus some animation that we got from the graphics department to tell these stories. So that's where I, I, my first job was uh, in production and um, then worked my way to associate producer. So I spent four and a half years on in, in the news. I mean, won a Peabody award. I didn't, the group bus did. And uh, it was just a remarkable experience because it taught me storytelling. And that, that was at kind of the heart of everything I have enjoyed doing since then. How did you get to the sports division? You know, it was uh, CBS News at that time uh, was, you know, the absolute uh, best of the best. And, uh, you know, Walter Cronkite, I mean, these are people your audience have never heard of. But anyway, um, you know, it, it was a remarkable organization. And I had, I just felt like I, I didn't belong there. So I uh, began talking and I got around to uh, someone recommending that I go talk to CBS Sports. You know, if I stayed in New York at sports or news, you know, if you want entertainment, you go to Los Angeles. That was the idea back in the 70s. Was anybody born then that's listening? But anyway, so um, I ended up uh, uh, spending a year and a half trying to get to CBS Sports. And finally, I had a conversation with Barry Frank, uh, who at the time ran CBS Sports. And um, he offered me a a job there as an associate producer. And it was basically to do pieces for them that they had not had the, they they really were not in a position to do. Uh, So the storytelling piece became my selling point. And, um, And so I began there as an associate producer. It, it, I, I think your story is an inspiration and, and, and a game plan for anybody who wants to get into the business in that whatever it takes to get you in the door, you right. never know where it's going to lead. You got to get it. The first thing is you got to get in the door. Huh? Exactly. 
that's exactly right. I mean, that was, I mean, when, you know, my first job, you know, in the basement of the broadcast center, uh, I was making $165 a week. Um, and, uh, that was exactly the idea, you know, why would you take a job like that? Well, because I wanted to get in the door. And once I got in, I could literally, literally look above me at what the opportunities were. And, um, it, 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 you know, thankfully it worked out. I'm knocking on wood. Did you have a mentor once you got in the door? Uh, to any particular spot, or you mean at CBS Sports, CBS? Yeah, at, 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 at CBS, either news or sports, yeah. Uh, a mentor? Um, Somebody CBS, that took you under their wings? Yeah, you know, uh, the people I worked with at CBS News were always very um, uh, supportive. Uh, when I got to CBS Sports, it, you know, um, it, it became different people. You know, the people I have had the most to be thankful for in my career, Peter Lund, uh, who at the time uh, was president of CBS Sports and, and offered me the job. There were four executive producers at the time, and he decided there should be one. And, you know, for whatever reason, he, he chose me as, as, as the one. Um, so Peter Lund was huge. What a wonderful man. Uh, Neil Pilsen, maybe the best guy I ever worked for. Um, uh, you know, he, he was hugely um, supportive and basically gave me lots of leeway to do what I, you know, thought was best to do. And, I, and, and, and I'm deeply appreciative for that. Would you say those gentlemen were programmers and, and had had really the, the finger on the pulse of of programming? I you know um I I would say uh yes uh Peter for sure um you know he came from sales and and worked in radio and then worked in local stations and really worked his way he eventually became the CEO of uh CBS Inc. Um, Neil came from the uh, business affairs side. I mean, brilliant uh, uh, negotiator, um, uh, you know, and, and, and what he would do is basically he would, you know, put together like the most amazing, in 1990, we had something we called the dream season uh, because we had virtually every major event. Uh, and uh, that was Neil. And, you know, and Jay Rosenstein and, and uh, you know, uh, other people, Herb Gross, that were um, so instrumental in getting all, the, all, the, all these um, remarkable uh, events. And uh, then they would hand that over to us on the pro, uh, production side and, and give us, the, you know, the, enough rope. Uh, to do what we wanted to do. And, and so that was huge. And uh, uh, anyway, um, that's sort of how it evolved. I mean, at, at that point, um, we were given tremendous leeway to do what we thought was best uh, as, as far as the presentation, the look, the sound, the, and that, you know, who the, who the, who the uh, commentators were, who the producers and directors were. Uh, whether it was in the studio or it was in the field at at, at, at different events. And uh, so they left that part of it to us, which was great. And I don't know how it works these days. 
<laughs> yeah, I find it interesting. You mentioned the the, the, the backgrounds of, of, of Pilsen and Lund and from from a business and a sales standpoint, because my my personal opinion, I don't know if you'd agree or not, but today I think so many people are promoted from sales and we don't have as many people from programming. And I wonder if the product suffers. Well, I mean, I, I think it does. Uh, um, and, and, and it's, uh, you know, I, I can't really speak to where things are right now. All, most that I know is what I see when I watch an event, a game or whatever it is, studio show. Uh, and, and it seems like there's an awful lot of, uh, basically, if you know, here's the formula for this show, or you know, for for the coverage of this game, and everybody's got to fit the formula. And then everybody else at different organizations that are, you know, covering sports that have rights to sports, emulate each other. So there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of new and different and better testing going on it's it's become uh seemingly more of a, a, a sort of a uh, what's what's the word i mean it's it, to me it's it's sort of uh I, I don't know if it's fear but uh there's a lack of um i, I don't know what the word is courage to creativity uh, well, well yeah i mean or to allow those who are creative to to do what they think is best, and what, what you folks you folks were allowed to do, right? Oh, that's exactly right. That's what that's why I'm thankful to people like Neil and Peter. Um, everybody seems now to kind of emulate each other, emulate each other. I, I watch some of the studio shows, and I don't know how long the desks can get to fit more, you know, more men. And um, uh, I mean, they're you know six or seven. I mean, it's like give me a what is happening here? You know, how about something new and different? There is nothing new and different. And that's the unfortunate part to me. Is, isn't that the truth? Uh, let, let's, let's look at the landscape a little bit right now, based on, based on your network background and based on what we're looking at. Let's, let's take college football, for example. The, the disintegration of, of longtime conferences, rivalries, and, and schools shifting the chase what I think is the TV money and that, that, but how, how much, how much blame goes to the networks or any blame meaning for the, for the breaking up of conferences or oh. is it the greed on the part of the schools? Yeah. Um, Hey, this is all about money, you know, and, 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 yes. and now the, the, um, in, in, in many cases, the largest source of revenue for these, conferences, leagues, whatever, um, you know, is, is television rights money. Um, and that's, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that's something that is surprising. Um, I, I guess what's most interesting is how, how reliant the conferences are on, on the television money. And, and, um, and, the, and, and those who are looking for the rights are paying a, I mean, just paying a fortune. I don't know how long it can go on uh, that way. Although, you know, yesterday I was reading about Netflix um, was starting to get into live sports. I think it's some kind of like made, you know, made for TV event tennis match. Um, 
which is, I guess, a first for, for Netflix. I mean, they've done well with sports documentaries, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating, um, because as the traditional networks and, you know, uh, platforms in both, you know, free TV and cable are, seem to be losing their allure and, and people are, are no longer paying for those bundles on cable and in the numbers that they have in the past. So how does that going to affect the amount of money that, you know, various, um, media companies can pay, uh, the traditional ones, you know, like CBS, um, over time. Um, and, and yet what's happening is you see, you know, organizations like Amazon, uh, Apple, uh, as I said yesterday, Netflix, um, as they, as they spend, I mean, they have huge, huge, uh, amounts of reserves for whatever they want to do. And, um, so there seems to be an inevitability in that move. Um, maybe they will bring uh, a greater sense of trying different things to reach uh, a wider audience, particularly younger audience, um, with new ways to cover things. Um, we'll see. You mentioned, you mentioned the, the dream season when, when you, you had so many uh, events at, at, at CBS and so many leagues and, yeah. and, and, and what have you did, did the network look at that as, okay, we're putting eyeballs on, on the screen. Are we, are we using it for promotional purposes? What, what was the theory about gathering all those entities? Well, I, th- you know, um, it, it's a good way to, to gather an audience. Um, uh, and, and the, you know, and the, and the, the results were that they, you know, they did well. They made money on it in 1990. I mean, it was, you know, bringing, you know, millions and millions of eyeballs to CBS, uh, which may not normally have come there. And it was because of sports. One of the things, if I may jump a bit, Jerry, um, it, it seems to me that one of the few things left in our country, now I don't want to get into politics, but one of the few things left in our country where we all come together and have, you know, can talk to each other regardless of whether it's a, you're a red stater or a blue stater or whatever you are, is sports. Sports has become one of the last ways we can all kind of talk to each other in a civil and, you know, friendly way. Um, that's, you know, we're seeing that uh, uh, as, as a solo kind of uh, thing these days. And I just, you know, Again, sports is something that is truly unique, and um, it, it gathers an audience that nothing else seems to. As 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 the media media fragments into so many different places, you can go and different platforms you can uh, visit. If we look at the marriage of sports and television, how important of an influence was Pete Rozelle? I mean, there's no enormous, enormous. He recognized he recognized the value of television and and in growing his sport. Um, and then over time, you know, 
putting together different packages that he could sell to multiple networks, um, you know, including Monday Night Football, which there was a lot of skepticism about. Um, I, you know, I think he was an enormously important person and he saw the value of, of uh, television partnerships um, that helped to create, you know, a sport where I don't care. uh, Yeah. I've I've been a Giants fan most of my life, New York Giants fan. Go Tommy Tommy DeVito. Anyway. um, Yeah. uh, But you know, the thing that, um, that strikes me is just, uh, I will watch, uh, you know, Kansas City play uh, Buffalo um, as easily as watching a Giants game. And um, I, there are not many sports you can do that. Baseball is very much a regional game, you know. And uh, It was Pete Rozelle who led the way in creating the sense that the NFL is a national sport and that we love to watch it no matter who's playing, America's team, whatever. And that, that guy was enormous. enormous. How devastating was it for CBS when they lost football? Say again, I'm sorry? How devastating was it for CBS when the NFL jumped to Fox? Yeah, I, you know, I had left. Um, yeah. uh, but, I mean, there's no, it was devastating. And look what it did for Fox. I mean, it, yeah. put, it put them on the map. Again, right. the NFL is, is the most remarkable sport. It has such... Uh, such strength and um i mean there's nothing quite like it and and the nfl if i am correct was the first sport to have their own channel and the others like baseball and hockey and uh basketball have followed yeah i think that's right i think that's right i mean they have on saturday they have three games that are only on the nfl network Uh, you 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 mentioned how the sports world and sports brings people together it this country i I think really the world if you if you take in you know soccer or football call it in other countries there there's an insatiable appetite for sports it's it 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 captivates you i think it you know i i completely agree um it it (coughs) excuse me it's like an escape opportunity and you know it's you know whatever the whatever one's life is like or how one's family is doing or whatever challenges they face um to be able to watch a game and just sort of get lost in the game is 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 like a gift i mean that's why it's the one thing left that will gather an audience i mean when you know, a Monday night football game or a Sunday night football game gathers, you know, some games this 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 uh, this fall have have gathered audiences in the high 20 millions. You know, um, nothing comes close to that. Um, I think anymore it's sports and that's why people pay so much for it. That's why people watch it. It's a chance to to, you know, kind of get lost in something that's fun. And uh, uh, we don't have many things like that anymore. I found it interesting when you mentioned baseball being a a regional sport. And and, and, and in our business, we we talk about the regional sports networks. 
which have fallen upon hard times, and I don't know how that's going to shake out. Well, um, it doesn't look so good. I mean, one of the things that is interesting, at least from my perspective, I live in Vermont, and so I'm, you know, from afar, <laughs> the uh, the way that it seems that um, people are are finding that certain clubs, certain franchises, like in baseball, have gone to, and I can't remember which ones, but are going to back to local television. I mean, going back to a local station in Phoenix or, you know, um, uh, and selling the rights there uh, because of the, as you said, you know, the, the regional sports networks are, have imploded and bankrupt. Um, so that's almost like going full circle or back to, you know, I used to watch the Yankees on WPIX channel 11 in New York. And um, uh, I'm not saying that's where the Yankees are going to be going back to, but uh, in some, in some markets, they are now, you know, giving up the, you know, the regional sports networks for going back to local television because the local television stations will pay for it because that's one of the ways they can gather an audience large enough to sell enough advertising to, you know, improve their, their profit line. So you would watch Phil Rizzuto and Bill White, huh? I sure would. Yeah. Not to mention Mel Allen. Mel, yeah. Legendary. God. What what a trio. That was just unbelievable. Yeah. You, uh, you are credited with bringing along some people in the business. And I'm thinking of Terry Bradshaw, James Brown, Mary Carrillo, uh, Jim Cramer, Lynn Elmore, Mike Francesa, Dan Fouts, Greg Gumbel, Andrew Joyce, Peter King, Martha McCallum, Sean McDonough, our friend Jim Nance, Pat O'Brien, Leslie Visser, our friend. You, you've had some talent uh, that you've been that you've had a hand in their development. I'm, I'm, you know, eternally grateful. I'll go back to Neil and Peter, who gave me and the group I worked with. Um, plenty of room to do what we thought was best and uh you know and i'm just thankful to have had the opportunity to give opportunities to people that seem to make sense and um and i was fortunate because uh all those names you just mentioned i mean i you know i'm just so thrilled and grateful to have had a chance to give them chances I know it's it's not near Bailiwick, uh, but were, were you shocked to see what happened with Al Michaels and uh, not being on NBC in the playoffs? Um, yeah, I, there really hasn't been an explanation, has there? I don't, I don't really know. No, no, really, there hasn't, which is unfair, I think. Well, I would, I would, I mean, the, the people at NBC are smart people. I, I would think that they're going to offer some sort of explanation if it's in fact true. Uh, although, I mean. Al Michaels, uh, I mean, r- remarkable career, you know, I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, and the opportunities had and the chances we have had to hear his work for decades, um, you know, hopefully he'll go off into the, you know, w- you know, he'll, I guess continue to do Thursday nights. I don't know, but, um, what a career. I mean, I, yeah. How, about, how about having the ultimate, the ultimate play-by-play call uh, in, in the 80 Olympics? Yeah. And when you think of the factor of, of the politics at the time, what oh, the yeah. country was going through, 
There's no way that anybody will ever surpass that call. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe in miracles? I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah no, I mean, the guy is, you know, going to go down in history as, you know, as good, if not better than anybody else who's ever done it. Yeah. On the subject of, of, of broadcasters, I, I think back to Jim McKay, Jack Whitaker. Yeah. I'll call them wordsmiths. Yeah. And, and I could put Jim Nance in that column today and Bob Costas. I agree. But, but beyond that, I wonder if we're going to lose that eventually in this in this business, which would, which would be a crime, I think. L lose. People, do we, are we going to have... Are we going to have people to fill those shoes when Jim retires and Bob retires? Yeah, I think yes. Um, I th I think that, you know there's a there's a sizable number of people that aspire to be among those kind of names and want to be part of the you know the sports media business and you know from you know play by play to analyst to producer director to studio whatever I mean may. I, again, sports is is one of the last things that gathers really, really substantial audiences. I mean, when back in the eighties with with the NFL Today as an example, um, the NFL Today would get a rating on a Sunday, um, and back then we were it was a show at twelve uh, twelve thirty uh, for for the east and 130 for the midwest and then 330 for the west coast i mean we did three pregames um every day and and the audience um we used to get uh would be equivalent today of a top 10 prime time show i mean that that's now back then it's you know espn was just you know just born and uh cable was not as um prevalent and you know so those sorts of things uh i, I don't think are going to happen in the future but again it just shows again this this incredible uh magnet that that sports is for people in our country and people around the world all right i'm gonna put you back in your executive chair at cbs uh what, what did you look for in talent what's What's the key to finding talent in the sports industry? Well, that's a good one. Um, that's a good one, Jerry. Um, well, I mean, it's uh, – I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. You know, you kind of – I've been fortunate to be able to uh, offer uh, – opportunities to people that have that potential. Um, James Brown, as an example, James Brown was um, working as a, he was a Xerox salesman and he also uh, did ACC basketball uh, um, locally, you know, uh, in, in, in Washington on weekends and stuff. And so, um, Kevin O'Malley, who we had four executive producers at the time, uh, hired him to do the first weekend of the tournament as an analyst. And so I heard him there. And at that time, my responsibilities were uh, all the sports studio shows, the NFL Today, college football, 
the tournament, uh, NBA, and and um, I had responsibility for the NBA then too, and so I remember hearing uh, JB on that first weekend because I was doing the studio stuff for the tournament, and thought, well, you know, let me talk to him and see if he'd be interested in doing the NBA playoffs for us, and so we talked and he said he would. And, and so he did that. And, um, then we had a, uh, 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 well, no, wait a minute. Let's see. So, so we had a, uh, a dinner. Uh, we had a, you know, the whole group that was doing the NBA came in for a day long meeting. Then we had dinner at, um, a restaurant that night. And, um, after we were done, uh, he pulled me aside and we sat down and talked about him being interested in becoming a full-time uh, broadcaster. That's what he wanted to do. And how can I do that? And I, you know, we began talking about that and it, it, it came down to offering um, advice on, well, you have to, you know, if you're going to be an analyst, you're only going to be able to work certain times of the year. But if you're, a play-by-play guy, if you're an anchor, if you're a reporter, you know, you can, you can work on a variety of different things. So we talked about that and he said he'd like to try that. So he started doing pieces for us. Gosh, he did a, a documentary where a special Olympics group uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and he went up there with them. I think we almost mm-hmm. killed him. But anyway, so um, uh, those sorts of opportunities, then it became why don't you host halftime uh, for uh, the NBA? Um, uh, why don't you um, uh, let's put you on a play-by-play, uh, you know, for uh, basketball for the NFL? And he would, we put him in a place where he would be. Um, we would call it point to point. You know, it wouldn't be the widest audience. We'd we'd put people that we were trying to develop into smaller. Um, you know, markets where they could learn the business and not, you know, um, shoot themselves in the foot uh, uh, to a national audience. We did that with John Madden. Uh, anyway, um, so Jay- that turned out pretty good. Huh? That turned out pretty good. That turned out pretty good. Yeah, he's. You know, I mean, I I always thought he was pretty good too. Anyway, uh, I mean, really, to me, and I've said this before, and people look at me like I'm out of my mind. To me, he's the Churchill of sportscasters. He's, you know, he, he just, you know, the maybe the greatest communicator um, I've, I can remember in my lifetime. Anyway, um, so JB began to do that stuff. Then he began to anchor stuff. And then, you know, he became, um, you know, he, he, now, he now anchors the uh, CBS Evening News uh, sometimes. I mean, he, 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 remarkable. Um, but we just tried to make it incremental and, and then he would build on it and build on it because he's such a talented, smart, smart as a whip um, guy. And uh, so that's what I tried to do over my time there. When, when you mentioned John Madden and related him to Churchill, it, it's it, to me put into focus what success is in, in this business for a broadcaster. You, you have to connect with the audience and you have to be yourself. To me, John Madden yeah. on camera was the John Madden 
you would you would see after a game if you were sitting around and, and having a, a soda pop with him. Totally. It was who he was, you know? Yeah. And and he was so unique and um so smart and so articulate. And it just I mean, he he uh and, and he was just he was just a good person, you know. I mean, in in his heart, he was just a good person. I mean, yeah. There's never been anyone like him. I I don't know if there'll ever be anyone like him again. You 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 probably grew up listening to Marty Glickman, sure, who was a minimalist as a broadcaster, and then you had Pat Summerall, a minimalist as a broadcaster. Yeah, I mean he um, Pat Summerall. I mean again, I mean incredibly smart, incredibly you know, in had a, a wonderful view of what was in front of him. But as you said, minimalist, and that's why he and John were so extraordinary together. Um, because Pat knew exactly when to put in whatever line or whatever observation, and then leave it to John. And I mean, and and together, um, there's never been a better team ever in in the business. You mentioned. Uh... Barry Frank earlier yeah. is now now an agent. How are the agents in this business? Are they influential? Oh, sure. I think they are. I mean, they have the leverage of, of taking whoever they are representing somewhere else. <laughs> and that puts pressure on, you know. And Barry was one of the great, great negotiators ever. And and uh he also, you know, he he represented John Matt. Um, uh, I mean, he, you know, had a, a group that was just remarkably talented that were under his, you know, uh, uh, you know, his work at, um, IMG, uh, uh, you know, he hired Sandy Montag and Sandy's become, you know, a super agent. Yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, yeah, Barry was a remarkable guy. I look at your career and I see your involvement in seven Super Bowls, 10 NBA finals, nine NCAA tournaments, 12 Masters Golf Championships, two World Series, eight U.S. Open Tennis Championships, 11 Daytona 500s. If if you had a choice to go and, and be at one of those events coming up, what would be at the top of your list? Wow, that's a hell of a question. And also, it makes me tired to hear that list. I don't know. Um, there's something, you know, unique about the Masters and being at Augusta National that weekend, uh, mm-hmm. no doubt. Uh, I think one of the most um, memorable events I ever had a chance to be part of uh, was at the Masters in, um, I think it was 1986, when, you know, Jack Nicholas came out of nowhere on the back nine and won the event. And I I remember uh, that, you know, the, the sound, and because all these holes had, you know, lots of trees and hills and stuff on them. And, and so you could hear the crowds, you know, at different times at different holes as they applauded or whatever the, 
you know, whatever, whoever was on the green or whoever, you know, was on the tee. And that weekend and that Sunday, particularly the back nine, when he was making his move, and I remember Vern Lundquist was on 17, and Vern, and, and he, I don't know what he did, he, you know, that uh, not he being uh, Nicholas, uh, I don't know if he birdied it or, you know, is it double league? I don't know what he did, but the sound of the crowd, and then when he came up the 18th fairway, was so loud and and echoed off of all these, you know, trees and and, and hills and I, I I mean it was like you knew you were part of something truly historic. I remember that one as as one of the most amazing events I ever had a chance to observe. Yeah, Vern was on seventeen. Jim Nance was on sixteen, and 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 when Nicholas birdied sixteen, Jim's line of the bear has come out of hibernation. Yeah. Which was a great call, you know. And Jim was like about fifteen years old then, so I mean, it, you know, it. it uh, he was I hired him when he was eight. <laughs> yeah, you saw, you saw it, and and um, I mean, the guy is 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 a remarkable talent. Going back to then, when he was in his twenties, I mean, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and, and like and like and like Madden, I knew Jim from his time at the University of Houston when I hired him. Yeah. He's the same person today as he was as at that as that college student at the University of Houston. Just good people. Huh. And he's honest and he's and he's sincere and what you see is is reality. Totally. A hundred percent. I agree with you a hundred percent. To this before, day he's that yeah. Before we let you get away, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about encourage.com oh. and your nonprofit, please? Yeah. Um that came out of uh, a group that we uh, that I was part of at NYU called NYU Sports and Society, and its chair was you know this guy um, Arthur Miller, as he referred to himself as the Living Arthur Miller, who is is a um, is is one of the the most highly esteemed legal scholars in the country, and forever taught at uh, Harvard Law School, and then one of the students that he taught. Uh, 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 John Sexton um, became the president of NYU and he lured him down. Arthur was from Brooklyn and was a, and is a, a Yankee fan forever. And um, so we talked about trying to start something where we can look at, you know, how the intersection between sports and society has become such a big deal. And uh, there was nothing else like it out there. And um, one of the things we learned over time was how difficult the the, uh, the world of youth sports had become. And so we began Encourage, I-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E dot com, as a way to improve communication between uh student athletes and we're going you know talking about from grade school uh through college uh, student athletes and uh coaches and parents because it's become you know parents are sitting in the stands screaming at you know their kids on the field or you know the referee or the whatever i mean it's just nuts and uh so if you go there you'll see a whole bunch of different videos um 
that deal with different issues, whether it's focused on student athletes or it's focused on coaching or it's focused on parents. And we spend a lot of time on parents because they're the ones who are trying to make sure their kid gets a scholarship, never going to happen. And, um, you know, uh, and pressure them as opposed to allowing them to enjoy the game and enjoy themselves and learn from it. That's what encourages. I'll have to have you visit with our executive producer, Dave D'Agostino, because he's, he's something related like that too. That's very important to him, right, Dave? Oh, absolutely. I, as a former professional athlete and former college coach, and now I've got that, I'm in a world that has a 10,000 foot view. I'm uh I'm discouraged, not to play off the word encouraged, I love the the title, by the way the parents place their own self-worth and their own pressures, their own insecurities on a nine-year-old baseball game or an 18-year-old softball, you know, whatever it may be. It, it's ahead it's of their a shame. Kids. Ahead of their kids. Yeah. It hurts them. I, I agree. Well, I'd love to hear what you think if you have a chance to go look at the site. Oh, I'm going to do it right. I wrote it down right after the oh, show. Sure, do you mind if I share a little exercise I do with uh, and you? Can, you feel, feel free to, to, to borrow it, Ted, if you want. Sure. I, I get brought in to speak quite a bit to, to families about this because we do run programs now for kids to help them approach the scholarship uh, situation in a healthy way. Um, we've turned out over 600 kids in the last four years. Great. And when, when I get asked to speak on the grassroots portion of it, the part that's kind of the meat and potatoes where the kids have to actually produce and develop. I do an exercise with the parents where I, I give them, uh, I put them in little drill forms, uh, maybe two, you know, two, three minute drills, things that their kids are doing that I put their kids through during that, uh, that time period, just to show them how hard it is to do what their kids are being asked to do. And they're being, it's in a controlled setting. And then I take the kids over and they all made up index cards before. And they're, there are those nondescript things that parents yell to their kids in the stands while they're playing, like, go get it. What do you, I, my favorite one is, what are you doing? That open-ended essay question that every kid has a chance to you know, respond to. So every kid's got two or three index cards, and I do the drill work again. And I have the kids at the top of their lungs screaming at their parents those things <laughs> on the index card over and over. And I ask the parents, how was that? Was that fun? And they're like, no, that was minor. I mean, just these are lawyers, doctors, teachers, yeah, seemingly yeah, yeah. intelligent people, you would think. And they are, I mean, to the point where you could see them visibly shaken. I said, imagine a 10 year old. Um, yeah. It's hard enough for them to do what we're asking them to do. But my, my message to them at the end is one voice. That's it. You got a guy volunteering over there, coaching or a woman. Let them hear one voice. That's hard enough. And all you need to do over there is clap. That's it if you choose to do so. But no yelling and screaming at the children, please. That's, <laughs> so, that's right. fantastic. Yeah. So, and, and I always threaten, and the coach threatens, he goes, now, if we, we, we're going to be watching this stuff, by seeing this stuff happen, we're going to bring Dave back and we're going to amp it up a little bit for you guys. So it's, uh, I never realized how bad it was until I stepped from college coaching to watching my kids play for the first time. And so I turned to my wife, who was also a college athlete. And I said, is this what happens? And she's like, yeah, you don't hear it because you're on the sidelines. You know, you're blocked out by the fan base, but uh, yeah, this is crazy. So I, I applaud what you're doing. I'm certainly going to look at it and would love to chat more about it offline. Sure. Hey, you know, use any of it you want. Well, I'm sure. Thanks, Ted. Jerry, for bringing me in. I appreciate that. All right, Ted, thanks so much for the time. Every time I visit with you, I come away uh, smarter in this business. Oh. And I, I appreciate you giving your time and visiting with us and uh, what a career you've had. And uh, wish you nothing but success going on with Mercury Media, your company, and encourage.com. You're so kind, Jerry, and you are truly one of the greats in the business too. I, I 
I truly appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mr. D'Agostino, it's all yours to close it out. I will. I wish I had played Easy Like Sunday Morning. That's going to be your new theme song because your interviews put me in that same mood when I'm listening to Lionel Richie. Nice and smooth. Easy Like Sunday Morning. But uh, to our audience, 60,000 and growing, challenge you to get to 61 by Christmas time. Thanks so much for your support. You know what to do. Five stars, write some great comments. We battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. To Blackout Coffee, thanks for your support as well. Coffee's on Jerry in December and through 2024. I don't know how he's got those deep pockets to buy it, but he's supporting your the audience 20% off at checkout. We're going to put his code in the show notes for you guys, so you can you can use Jerry's code at checkout. And Ted Kubiak's books, the two books I mentioned in the preamble, great stocking stuffers. I'll put how to obtain those books in the show notes as well. And this episode 387, can you believe that, Jerry? Last year at this time, we were at 3,000 subscribers. Now we're close to 61 all thanks to guys like yourself and and to great people we bring on the show like Ted. Uh, Ted, thanks so much again for what you brought to the show today. And Jerry, thank you for what you do every week. And your hard work. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Stop it. And I've bought some corn for popping.